Welcome everybody to a bonus episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger. We have a very special guest with us today. I'm Corrie Perkin and my colleague Caroline Wilson will introduce our special guest. Yeah, we're going to be having a chat to Tom Morris, the former Fox footy journalist, uh, 3AW journalist, writer, who has not spoken for more than a year, is my understanding, since his career came to an abrupt halt after a series of extremely damaging and, in Tom's own words, disgusting and disgraceful pieces of audio were leaked and, as I said, ended his career. This time last year, Tom Morris looked headed for another high-octane, controversial AFL season following a a round one exchange in a post-match press conference with Luke Beveridge. Tom um, had been bluing with Luke Beveridge for a while and um, broken a big selection story during the previous year's grand final week and another one during the week leading up to the round one game with Melbourne. For several hours, Corrie, Tom had the backing of pretty much every journalist in the country, certainly every sports journalist, and a lot of people in football who were disgusted with Luke Beveridge's response in this press conference. And that high moral ground immediately disappeared when these pieces of audio were leaked. One was, uh, look, one was homophobic, had racist overtones, and sexist, but the worst one um, were comments regarding a a woman I think Tom thought of as certainly a good acquaintance and colleague um, referring to her sexuality. I'm not sure whether Tom has reached out or spoken to that colleague since, but we're going to find out more about that in a moment. Tom is going to return to the media in a small capacity in the next few weeks on SEN doing a a pre-game show, I think on Sundays, with Sarah Ollie. And um, he's chosen to talk to us today. Tom, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. Thanks, Caro. Thanks, Corrie. Thanks for having me on. So um, I suppose we'll go back to what happened a year ago, and it was March 2022. Were those pieces of audio that were released, were they part of a wider pattern of behaviour and thought processes for you? Yeah, I've done lots of, um, I've done lots of uh, digging into my persona, into my behavior into my, um, into the way I lived from back then, Caro and Corey, it was, um, and it, and it's one of the questions that I've had to ask myself, was this who I was at the time? And if it was, why was I like this? And how did I become this way? Why did I speak this way? Why did I have these attitudes and these behaviors that were clearly, um, disgraceful and, um, and extremely harmful to so many people? Um, it would be wrong for me to say that this sort of discussion, this sort of chat, um, this sort of homophobic and sexist language was isolated in those two uh, WhatsApp audio recordings in my life. Um, I lived in a in a world that I only, in hindsight, realised um, was extremely warped. Um, whether I was part of the discussion or not, I would... I was desensitized to this sort of um, this sort of behavior and this sort of chat, which is so confronting and troubling to look back on because I always thought that if you'd asked me 13 months ago, Tom, um, what sort of person are you? I'd say I was respectful. Um, I have good friends. I've got good fr- family. Um, I've got two amazing sisters. I've got a mum who I love, a dad who I love. Um, I, I report a lot on AFLW. I report a lot on, on female cricket. Um, and I've got lots of 
female work colleagues as well who are, are close friends. So to then um, realise afterwards that I have the capacity to speak in such a way and have these attitudes and have these behaviours was um, was so confronting and not something that I'll ever be able to live down. I'm deeply ashamed of what happened. I said it at the time, it was disgraceful um, and, it, and, it, and it will always be. There's been so many people the last year, Caro, who've come up to me with their opinion on what happened and it's been divisive. I'm sure anyone listening who understands what happened would have a strong opinion as well. Everyone thinks they're right. Some people think that the PC world, the culture that we live in, is ridiculous and Fox should have stood by me. I disagree with those people. If I was Fox, I would have sacked me as well. But you didn't think that you were shocked at the time though, weren't you? I would, when, when I got sent the voice recordings myself from a friend on the Thursday morning, I was shocked that I could say such a thing about a colleague or about anyone. But you were shocked. And, and I know Kelly Underwood, who... Corrie knows well and was a mm. former colleague of yours and who probably doesn't even think, Corrie, you and I should be speaking with Tom, said yeah. she felt sick when she read the comments. She was a, a close colleague of Tom's. She was devastated on behalf of her female colleague who essentially had been very private about her sexuality and that had been exposed as a result of this. Um, Kelly was shocked that yeah. Fox actually, she felt that they'd probably suspend you for a few weeks and then let you come back to work. Well, after. Cara, yeah, let me take you inside the HR meeting with Fox because <clears throat> I knew I was in trouble and Fox said to me, the, the two HR representatives said, is there anything, anything you'd like from us? And all I said to them was just please make it as quick as possible because I was almost certain I was going to be sacked. And in fairness to them, they did. They sacked me on the Friday afternoon. I think it was the Friday afternoon. And, um, and, Again, as I was saying before, there's people that have come up to me that have said that Fox should have stood me down or not sacked me, but I can't be clear enough that I deserve to be sacked for what I did. And I thought that at the time and I think that now. So, Corrie, um, Tom was had won the Clinton Gribers Rising Star Award for Journalism. This is not a... Tom Morris eulogy by any, or, or am I <laughs> no, trying no, to you're, glorify? You're, no, but you're, you're, you're stating facts, to, to put it in context, he'd, he'd broken the Adelaide Camp story, one of the biggest stories of the last five years in journalism, some very big selection stories, including, um, you know, revealing that the GWS captain Stephen Canilio was going to be dropped. I mean, there's there's all manner of stuff that he, he was considered, you know, one of the hotshots of journalism. And I wonder... Tom, and I've seen it before, it, not only were you using language that was just completely wrong and mm. you probably um, were mixing with people who had a similar like mind, but did you get ahead of yourself? Yep. Were you, were you arrogant? Yep. But again, if you'd asked me at the time, I would have laughed at you and said, what are you talking about, Caro? It's only in upon reflection I realised that I was living... Uh, the word fast life is too much because I'm not a Hollywood actor. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a celebrity, but I was going all the time. I was trying to break stories. I was on my phone. My screen time on my phone was 11 or 12 hours a day. I was going out for drinks with mates. Then I was trying to break stories and then I was playing cricket. Then I was going again and again. And it, I've had a couple of very close friends that have said to me in recent months, I was just all go, go, go. And I've got no doubt that I was those things and probably more as well, Cara. It was, um, 
it's distressing to look back and see myself as that person when at the time I would have laughed those suggestions off. Tom, you said earlier um, that you would, had become desensitised mm. to this kind of chat and I wonder what it is in your makeup, what, what, what it was in your background. Maybe it's school or maybe it was the, the um, and there is a boys club still in sport as much as we'd like to think that it's broken down. But what was it about that part of your world that made you desensitised? Um, I was desensitized like I think so many people like me would still be desensitized to this sort of discussion, but I'm not going to blame the school I went to or the cricket club I was, I'm at or the friendship groups I'm in for what I did. Cause there's plenty of good people in those groups that would never even think of what I said, let alone say what I said. So I think it's, uh, Again, this is my reflection based on what's happened and the learnings I've undertaken and the people that have supported me through this. I, I think I, I'm probably just a reflection of um, a wider societal problem where people get swept, what I would consider broadly, mostly good people get swept up in um, discussion and chat and behaviour which is highly disrespectful and demeaning and derogatory towards women. And, um, and it's, it is extremely embarrassing and shameful that I was, that I was part of that. There was a a clear victim in this. Have you spoken to her? Have you apologized to her? Has she accepted your apology? I've reached out to Megan. Um, and I'm also extremely aware that, um, by even, um, doing this interview today, it might cause her more stress than she needs or deserves, um, I've already caused her enough stress and, and she didn't deserve any of that. She's a completely innocent party in all of this. Um, I haven't heard back from her and she doesn't owe me anything. So she's, it's not up to her to make me feel right and make this okay. And we all move on and live the rest of our lives happy and, and everything's okay. She owes me nothing. So I completely respect the fact that she hasn't got back to me and she is, and, and there's no obligation for her to do so. And I think, um, uh, no, I think talking any more about her would actually be a disservice to her as well. Cause it's not actually about her. It's about me. And, um, and, and I'm always going to be feel guilty and feel shameful for what I put her through, through absolutely no fault of her own while she's over at the women's T20 world cup in New Zealand. Tom, I was not in favor of doing this interview, but, um, we're here and I appreciate what you say about Megan and, and you might be raising um, pain and anguish for her again. But I just want to say that I thought, and I wonder what your thoughts were, the post that she put on her social media account after this incident uh, was one of the most courageous and, and articulate messages about how she felt about being um, outed. Um, when it, And she says, coming out is a process and should never be taken out of someone's hands. Um, at, at what point, at what point in this sort of three, four, five day period, did you realize what you had actually done? As in the three, four, five day period after it came out? Yes. As soon as somebody said, this is, this has gone live. Did you realize what you had actually done? Immediately. But I was in shock as well that I would do such a thing. So it's. Were you showing off? Yeah, I probably think I was. Yep. Oh, like I know somebody famous and I know something, I know something about her. Yeah, I think you could rationalise it that way. I think that's one of many ways you could rationalise it. Yep, it's pretty hard to rationalise it as well because it was such a terrible thing to do to someone else. Um, 
do to anyone, let alone someone that I was um, was a colleague of mine. But I, I'm really hesitant to talk about her anymore because I feel like she's been through enough. That's fair enough. I, I appreciate that too. So um, I have... I have many friends and I've had them for years and years since I was 17 and 18, friends who are gay and particularly in the uh, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it was difficult. And even now it's still difficult for some young people to come out. And and I would have thought that you would um, be in a similar sort of situation that you would have a lot of gay friends and you would have thought and even perhaps talked with them about the consequences of the difficulties sometimes, maybe not always, but sometimes in, 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 in coming out. Yeah. It's one of my great regrets and I've clearly got a few, but one of them is that I didn't do the work and didn't have the discussions in my younger years, in my twenties, especially to, um, adequately prepare myself for being a respectful, normal adult. It was, um, you know, if I can give you one example, uh, and I won't say the person's name, but I was in a Twitter direct message conversation with someone, a, a leader in this space in 2020, who invited me to a, a Zoom com, a, a Zoom seminar um, to talk about, uh, not for me to talk, sorry, but to to listen and learn about women in the workplace and gender equity. And I said I'd go. And I didn't get on that Zoom call because I was too busy chasing a story. And I can't remember what the story was, but how could any story be more important than this? Than this? And this is not to say by going to that Zoom, I, I would have not said what I said 18 months later or whenever it was, but I didn't even give myself a chance because I thought I was okay. I thought I was one of the good guys. And that's the problem because we all think we're fine. I say we all, men who are heterosexual and white like me, often think we are the good guys and in fact, we don't know what we don't know. And only in the last year since I've opened up my mind and been so grateful for the people that have um, allowed me to ask questions and to investigate why it happened, have I realised that we have a massive societal problem that I'd been told about for years beforehand, but I'd turn a blind eye to or I had ignored because I just didn't think it was high on the priority list. And so that, in- that's, that's, that's my deep regret from years ago, from my 20s. I'm 31 now. And I, I was selfish and I ignored it for a decade. So in practical terms... As an adult, I'm talking about. In practical terms, you, you lost your job, you lost your income. Yeah. Uh, I think you went overseas for a while. Um, yeah. I, I know we spoke briefly before you went away, had a fairly full and frank conversation. Your parents were clearly devastated. Your mother, Jilly, was very ill, suffering from complications from cancer, which she's been battling for a long time. Yep. Um, you were about to buy a house. Obviously, that didn't happen. How have you lived? In what, in what sense? Financially. Have you done any other work? And do you, are you looking at another career? Um, well, I'll answer the first question first. Um, I was lucky that I didn't own a house at the time. So it's not like I've got a mortgage. Um, I went away. Um, I've done bits and pieces of work, cricket coaching, um, but I haven't worked much. Um, the second question was, uh, am I looking at another career? Um, for m- most of 2022, I was acutely aware that um, there might not be any future for me in any journalism, let alone front-facing journalism on TV, on radio, writing, let alone producing or anything in um, behind the camera as well. 
And if the public sentiment is that I can't get a full-time job again, then I'm completely prepared for that mentally because I've only got myself to blame. Um, I think in some ways, um, and I, in some ways it's easier because I only blame myself. There, I'm not blaming anyone else. This is no one else's fault. I'm not bitter at anyone. It's only myself to blame. So if, yes. Including this, the person who released this? Yes. I'll get, can we get to that in a second? Yep. But if I'm extremely grateful for Hutchie and SEN offering this um, Sunday crunch time opportunity with Sarah Ollie, who's a close friend of mine. Um, but if there's no full-time role in the future, then I've only got myself to blame and I'm prepared for this. And, um, and there's, there's not much I can do about it because so many people were hurt by what I did. And people say, well, everyone deserves a second chance. I, I'm not banking on that. I'm, I'm, I'm very much aware that what I did was reprehensible and it's not a fait accompli that I'll be able to walk back into the media and just pick up where I left off. In fact, that's highly unlikely. The timing was extraordinary though. I mean, Luke Beveridge, I think had issued the Bulldogs coach, had been forced by his CEO and president to apologise yep. to you. I, I don't think he did personally, but I think he put, put out a public apology. And it, it just seemed like within an hour, someone had released these damaging pieces of audio that ended yep. your career. Yeah, but where... How did that happen? Well, this podcast is called Don't Shoot the Messenger. So it's not about how the WhatsApps got out. If I didn't record those messages, if I didn't have those thoughts pop into my head, then it never would have happened. So no, but yeah, as but a it's, journal, it's interesting. I'm, it's interesting. As a journal, think, I'm fascinated mm. and a lot of people think it's directly related to what happened with Luke Beveridge. The Western Bulldogs had nothing to do with those WhatsApps getting out. Did any member of Luke Beveridge's family or friendship group or? Not that I'm aware of, but it's not something I spend any time thinking about as well because I look internally at why I did it in the first place. If it wasn't out that day, it might have come out a week later or two weeks later and it might have come out another way. Did you know, have you, do you know who did it and have you spoken to them? No and no. Um, uh, on uh, the sounding board, uh, Craig Hutchinson and um, Damo's um, most excellent podcast, uh, at the time that this happened, this time, which is pretty much this time last mm. year actually, uh, Hutchie said that he would have liked to have thought, they were talking about the moral dilemma of if this story arrived in your inbox would you create it as a story, look what's happened to Tom Morris, or would you actually contact you directly as a friend? Now, in journalism, we should never have friends and we should publish without fear or favour. But Hutchie did say that he would have probably, he would like to have thought that he would have been that person who would have contacted you and said, listen, mate, do you know that this is out there? Uh, you know, is this true? Is this your voice? Is this your, um, you know, social media yep. contribution? And I just, um, I wonder if that had happened, if somebody of Craig Hutchison's stature in the media community had contacted you, what would you have done? Um, well, it's a, that's a hypothetical that I've never really considered because compared to maybe when Caro first started writing or um, before the digital media age, there's blurred lines between social media and online reporting. So it's not like someone's received a WhatsApp audio recording of me talking and they've emailed to the Herald Sun and the Herald Sun's written an article. This is blown up on social media, on Twitter, on WhatsApp, on Facebook, um, on many other different forums. And 
um, as a result, there's no one leaker, for example. It just it, it it's just out there, and that's how it, and that's how it gets. Are out. you still on social media? Yeah, I'm on social media, and I read uh, about five or six days after I got sacked, I, I took the entire day and I read everything that was said, and um, it's very hard to disagree with any. Of it. I couldn't disagree with anything that was said because people were so hurt by what I did, and it took me an entire day to go through Twitter, Facebook. Instagram, listen to podcasts, and um, yeah, I, I needed to do it because I needed to accept what had happened and confront it, and that's what I'm still trying to do. And what have you done over the last year? In ter- I mean, you, you talk about rehabilitation and education. Yeah, I haven't used the word rehabilitation myself, um, and, I'm, and I'm very conscious not to use that word because um, it's an ongoing thing for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm extremely aware that these words, no matter what I say, um, won't appease a very large section of people, and I understand that. So it's my actions that will need to do the talking in the future, and I'm, and I'm committed to doing that. But I've been extremely grateful that I've that I've received support um, and assistance and guidance from people like Tanya Hosh at the AFL, um, who's the general manager of inclusion and social policy, um, from Paddy Conursley, who's the CEO of Our Watch, which is a non-for-profit organisation that's. Um, that's designed to uh, prevent violence against women and their children. Um, and then from um, completing online education courses and actually reading and sitting at my computer, which I've done lots of, um, I've actually gone out and met with various people as well. I've been at the Pride Centre. I've met with Todd Fernando, who's the um, who's the uh, Victorian Commissioner for the LGBTIQA plus communities and many others as well that don't want to be mentioned on this podcast today. Um, by doing all that, it's allowed me to reflect on what I've done, um, but this is not a full stop now just because I'm doing this interview and I'm going to move on. It, I'm learning stuff all the time. I'm learning things that I didn't know six months ago that I know now, and I'm sure in six months' time I'll know more than what I knew now as well. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a really confronting process to, to have to, um, uh, I guess, to have to listen and learn and accept what's happened as, as part of... Um, as part of who I was. So what advice would you give to the 18-year-old Tom Morris coming into the media and study or any form of journalism, football, sport? Well, it's something I haven't really considered. The advice I think I'd give my younger self, regardless of what career I'd like to enter, is that you do not know everything. In fact, you know very little. And it's so important that you do extra work to listen and learn and understand other people's worldviews, not just your own. And it's not enough just to have girls who are friends and First Nations people who you played footy with and who are friends and like women's sport. You actually need to you actually need to listen, properly listen and hear what people are saying rather than just assume that you know it all. That would be my only that would be my main advice, I think. Do you reckon you can teach people empathy, Tom? Oh, I think you can become more empathetic as you grow. Yep. I think I've become more empathetic the last year, but I think I can also become more empathetic in the next year. So it's not, it's, it's an ongoing thing. So yes, I do think, I think you can only teach people empathy if they're willing to be empathetic, if they open their minds in the first place. Um, we, all, we all like to think, 
as human beings, really, because it's what keeps us going, that out of a trauma or a tragedy, some good things can happen. Um, they don't always, but you like to think that they do. Has anything good for you come out of this terrible chapter in your life? And the second question is, do you see that by talking about this, for example, on a podcast like ours, that there may be an opportunity to make other people aware of the consequences of their actions? I think the good that can come out of it is that I'm a better person. I'm a better role model. I'm a more respectful person in my social groups and in my future work endeavours than I was. But I'm really hesitant and, and I will not say that it will ever be a good situation because of what I put Megan through and how much I hurt other people as well. So um, it's a terrible situation that I've had to confront. Yeah, and the second part of the question was, do you think, is there a role for you as a role model, do you think? Um, whether I'm a role model or not in the future is is way too premature to say because I think most people would look at me now and say, Tom is not the right person to educate or teach anyone on anything. And I completely understand that. Um, but what I've learned and again, the assistance I've received and the support I've received from the people I mentioned before is that the first step here was doing the work myself, which I've done uh, and I'll continue to do. And the second step, which overlap, overlaps with the first step is to, um, I guess, work out what space I can get into that can assist others um, in some capacity. And th that is very much ongoing. That's conversations I'm having, but it's also very delicate because I want to make sure that's right. But there's no way, there's absolutely no way that I'll be just working and living the life that I lived beforehand. You know, like I completely accept that my career might never be the same again, but I'm, I, I'm so determined that I'll never be the same person as I was. So what that looks like, we'll have to wait and see. But um, I'm not going to be um, I'm not going to be sitting still on my hands, um, going nowhere, and forgetting to listen and learn like I was for so many years before this all happened. What did your family say when this story broke? They were shattered. They were angry and disappointed at me, and rightly so. I felt so bad for my family. Um, when I, it was, I could cop the heat because it was me and it was my fault. As I said before, I had no one else to blame, but my dad's a school teacher. He had to go into school and he was so embarrassed. And my two sisters are primary school teachers. They had to go into school. You know, my poor mum was at home, the rest of my family. I don't, they didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve this. They, they were disgusted at what I said. And I, and, and I couldn't explain it at the time. It's, I, there'd be plenty of people probably listening to this right now thinking I can't explain it very well now. I'm trying my best. But the hardest thing um, for me from a, from, a, from a proximity perspective was how it affected my family. I could, I, I'd walk down the street and um, a few times and I'd be going out for dinner and people would abuse me and have a go at me. And, and as, as weird as it sounds, I could, I could accept that because they were so hurt and for family and those close to me to have the 
spotlight shined upon them was um, was extremely distressing, um, and and something that I I don't think I'll ever be able to um, be able to get over that. Did you lose friendships? Um, friendships were affected, but I, it's amazing. And and Cara, you know this as well, um, and so would you, Corey. I presume whenever you're in dire need of support. It's amazing how your friends rally around you. They didn't condone what I did. In fact, they were disgusted at what I did as well. But to use a footy terminology, you know, Ross Lyons challenged the behaviour, support the person was very much evident with my friends. And, you know, Sarah Ollie, who's one of my closest friends who I'm doing this SEN show with, and I worked with at Fox for years. But the first time I saw her afterwards, I hope she doesn't mind me saying, she, she looked me in the eye and said, Tom, what you said was disgusting but I'm here for you. I'm, I'm your friend. And I, I was, I'm, I will be forever thankful for my friends for helping me through this period. This is not to say that I'm the victim in all this or that I, but, but the support that I received was, um, was quite incredible from those people. Cara, there was always a thing in media, wasn't there? When we were growing up that journalists should never become the story. And there was something also that Craig said in that, um, podcast last year, um, and he said, we've got to remember now the microphone is always on and it's a, mm. it's a kind of a different world now, isn't it? And I wonder, I mean, Carol asked you earlier about your relationship with social media, but yeah. are you very, you, you must be so much more mindful of that. Yeah. I'm more mindful of social media, but that's secondary to more, to how mindful I am of the person that I am all the time. You know, and one of the things that Patty Conursley has said to me, I hope she doesn't mind me saying is it, you can make a difference in a formal capacity by, um, this is in the future, by speaking to people and, 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 and going to talk and, and, and helping others, but you can make the most meaningful difference in the present by just being a good person and being respectful around the groups that you're in. And if you ask anyone at the cricket club I'm at, they will say that I've changed. If you ask my friends, I hope they'll say that they've, that I've changed for the better as well. So that's, that's, in the short term, on a day-to-day basis, that's that's all I'm trying to be at the moment. That's just a better person than what I was. So how would you feel going to cover, for example, an AFLW game or an AFLW press conference? I, I would feel incredibly awkward about that because I know that others would feel awkward about that. And that is one of the things that I said to um, SEN when they came and um, and offered me this position on a Sunday, Sunday crunch time. I said, let me think about it. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. But if there's one person that feels like they are uncomfortable with me being there, then I don't want, I don't want to be there. Um, and I, I don't want to walk into an office and have people um, think, why is he here? Why is this sexist here? Why is this misogynist here? Why is this racist person here? So that, and, and that's something I'm really conscious of. What, who I am around my colleagues and my friends and anyone else that I've, that I've in, in my circles, um, I've, I've made enough people hurt and, and, and terribly, unco- more than uncomfortable, you know, really offended by what happened. And an AFLW press conference back in the day would have been absolutely fine. Um, but in the short term, I don't think it's realistic. I think I have a lot of work to do before I get back to that stage. I know this, as you keep saying, this is not about you. It's about the people that you've hurt, but... Um, how's your mental health been in the last year, particularly in those first few weeks? I was in shock initially what happened and I was very lucky that I had people around me that were there to support me. But 
my my mental health is is okay. Um, I'm uh, I've had good support. Um, yes, I've had to see um, a psychologist and a therapist to help me through, especially in recent months. And I'm not shying away from that. But this is not to say that I've been mentally unwell or that I've had mental health problems. Um, I've just had to unpack, as I said before, deeply what happened. And that person's been great to help me do that. Have you lost your confidence? Yep. Uh, I think I've lost a fair amount of confidence, but I think I needed to. I think I was probably, as we said before, I think I was probably overconfident. I think I was probably ahead of myself. And um, I think that realignment's been necessary. So yes, I've lost confidence, but I think that will end up being a good thing. And have you, for one second, putting aside everything that we've discussed and yep. we've made it clear that nobody in this studio in any way was anything but horrified by what you said, yeah. but have, have you missed it? Have you missed your old life? Yeah. I, have you missed it? You know, do, do you read a story and wish that you were covering it or you think you might have done a better job on it? <laughs> I mean, is it that side still there somewhere? Yeah, of course. I, I've missed that aspect of it. I missed um, the cut and thrust of the footy season. I missed um, the cricket season, cricket commentary. But um, that's all paled into insignificance. I've had to put that on the back burner and because there's no guarantees that I'll be able to get back to that. There's no guarantees that I want to get back to that. There's no guarantees that people will want me back. So it's something that I haven't spent too much time worrying about. So what will you do if you don't come back permanently? I'm not sure at the moment, but I'm just taking it a week or week or two at a time. Um, I'm looking forward to this show with Sarah Ollie on Sundays. Um, I'm I'm playing cricket. Um, I'm I'm spending a lot of time with my mum, which is absolutely the priority. Um, she's the bravest person I know, and you know, given what she's been through, um, any sort of career aspirations are very much um, in. Very much in the background for me at the moment because of because of uh, her bravery and also because of my priorities with her, um, and, and yeah. So you obviously are hoping to be a better person yeah. as a result of this whole sorry episode. Yeah, and you obviously still have great trepidation about catching up with some of your old colleagues and covering certain sports because of the way it might affect other people. Yeah, but do you think that? Do you deep down really, really, really believe that door is closed for you forever or it's just an unknown? It's an unknown, and but I'm prepared for it to be closed if it is closed. Um, this is not Team Tom here. Um, I'm just stating a fact. You're a very good journalist and you're very talented and, um, and I'm sure that you've considered the consequences of your action in relation to the passion of your pr chosen profession. And... Um, you know, I, I just, um, I, I think that, I would like to think that the industry is forgiving um, and that society can be forgiving. Um, but it was interesting, again, hearing Craig Hutchison a year ago saying that it would be almost impossible for you to come back into journalism and he has offered you a position. So how did that come about and how do you feel? Um, well, I'm very grateful to, to Craig. Um, I'm thankful to Craig for the opportunity to work on this Sunday, but um, Did he have conditions or anything about this particular role? Uh, no, 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 no conditions. Just um, do the best job I can on a Sunday, um, 11 to 1. No. Uh, if, again, if you'd said to me 12 or 13 months ago that we have a problem in sports media because there's not enough women 
and um, and the way men treat women, I would have said, oh, really? Is, is, is that the case? Is, oh, okay. But having um, listened and learned, I now realise what, what a what a problem we have. You know, I, I had no idea, Cara and Corrie, for example, this is not sports media, this is in a workplace, um, that 50% of women say they've been sexually harassed in the workplace in the last year. So I'm looking around going, that's one in two. You know, that 80% of women between 18 and 24 say they've been sexually harassed anywhere in the last year. And I'm thinking, that's four in five young women say they've been sexually harassed in the last year who have been 18 and 24. And... That, those statistics blow my mind. So how did I, how did I not know this? How was I, how, was I not listening? What, what was wrong with me to not understand the scope of the problem we have in society and the correlation between the culture that I allowed with what I said and violence against women? That's something I've never considered. You're like a lot of blokes, Tom. You just weren't listening. I wasn't listening. It's worth pointing out that Wayne Carey for many years wrote a column for The Age and was a commentator on Channel 7 and only ended both those jobs. And I'm not sure if he's still on Triple M. I don't think he is because of a situation that happened in the casino over in Perth. He came back to jobs after a couple of, you know, pretty horrific incidents involving women, um, all of which, you know, he'd written about and not all of them, but some atoned for. And yet society in general welcomed him back. Now, that was only, that only ended at the end of last year. Yeah, but not everybody, Caro. As I've told you before, I would not watch him on my television set. That was my protest, and I think a lot of other women felt the same, and I'm sure there are a lot of women in particular, maybe some blokes too, who have actually turned off this podcast today and they're yeah. not listening. I, I, it's amazing how many people mention his name to me, um, but I push back on that because I don't compare myself to anyone I did the wrong thing and um, there's no comparison to anyone else in the world. I, I did the wrong thing. I take full ownership of what happened and what happens on another radio station with another person is completely separate to what's happened to me. Completely, but it's just interesting how things have changed, I think. And I think uh, the other point, I'd, yeah, and, and let's face it, you weren't Wayne Carey. No. You were clearly considered more expendable, rightly or wrongly. Well, that's that. Uh, what Fox? Uh, I don't have a bad word to say about Fox. I had a great time at Fox. They promoted me. They gave me amazing opportunities. I had a hybrid role across podcasting and writing and TV and cricket and footy. I didn't, and they and the way they terminated my contract was completely respectful and understandable. So I've got no issue with Fox whatsoever. So I think the Age certainly looked at offering you a job and decided not to. Um, I think I can say the same for Channel Nine. Clearly. You're not at the Herald Sun, so if they, I don't know if they've spoken to you, but you're not no. there. So the only the only organisations that that's spoken to me is SEN. No, no one else has spoken to me, and that's that. Uh, that's just the fact. Is the Fox door closed forever? Do you think? Oh, it's something I haven't even considered. I don't. I, I don't know. It's not something on on my radar. I'm sure it's not something on their radar either. Well, Corey, it's been fascinating catching up with Tom. Tom, yeah, thank you for um, thank you for coming in today, and um, we do um, wish you a great time at SEN. Thanks, and, Corey. And um, we hope the show with Sarah goes really well. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. I really appreciate it. Yeah, look, my my view has always been, and I've said this to Tom that what he did was disgraceful, and the comments were disgusting. Um, I didn't necessarily see them as career ending, but maybe I'm not 
maybe I'm a bit more old fashioned. I certainly think that he needed to do a lot of education and completely atone. You can never actually atone, I think, completely for what you've done. No, I've, I've, got, I've got to live with this forever, and I understand yeah. that. Yeah, and, and I know that, and I and I and I will always feel that shame, um, and that's just the reality of what I've done, and I've taken full ownership for that. There's no, this is not Luke Beveridge's fault. This is not WhatsApp's fault. This is this is all on me. So, so what has happened subsequently, I think, has given a lot of certainly women in the workplace. There's there's been a buoyant, a buoyant situation for them where they they do feel finally supported. So it hasn't. You're, you know, you're, you're the one who's paid the price, but you should have. And um, I think it's been good for the whole situation that these conversations are now had, and that somebody who had such a successful career, you can it can all end if you do something so damaging. Yep, I agree. Words matter, Tom. Um, Tom Morris, thank you very much for joining us today on Don't Shoot the Messenger. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey.